let me ask you a question. Are you tired of dieting? Are you frustrated with your lack of progress, no matter how hard you seem to try? Well, maybe it's time to stop the diet madness and start living a life that you truly love. Forget about weight loss for a minute, and let's focus on creating a life that is enjoyable and fulfilling, a life that brings real, meaningful joy. My guest today says that when you do that, the weight will lose itself. Hello, and welcome to the Over 50 Health and Wellness Show. I'm your host, Kevin English. I'm a certified personal trainer and nutrition coach, and my mission is to help you get into the best shape of your life, no matter your age, so you can show up in the second half of your life as the healthiest, strongest, most vital version of yourself. We have a great show for you today. Camille Martin is here, and she's going to share her ideas on how building and living a life that you love can help with weight loss. But before we get to that, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Living Libations. It is so hard to find truly organic and natural beauty products that don't contain harsh chemicals. Most of the products on the market are loaded with harsh chemicals, sulfates, and other unhealthy ingredients. Even products labeled organic or natural brands often sneak these harmful chemicals in. But Living Libations is here to change all that. Their line of pure and organic Renegade Beauty products will make you look and feel your best without any of the harmful chemicals. They have a full line of beauty products for men and women that not only leave you clean, radiant, and smelling great, but all of their products actually heal and nurture your skin's natural microbiome. If you're interested in learning more, head over to livinglibations.com and check out their full line of soaps, shampoos, cleansers, oral care, deodorant, natural makeup, and so much more. And because you listen to this show, you can get 10% off everything when you use the coupon code SILVEREDGE at checkout. That's SILVEREDGE all run together with no spaces. Okay, enough of that. Let's get on with today's show. Today is Camille Martin. Camille is a registered dietitian, health blogger, and senior technical editor for the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. She is also a former chronic dieter who wasted nearly 25 years of her life dieting. When she finally quit dieting and started setting and achieving more meaningful goals, she lost weight without trying. She also made powerful connections between our obsession to lose weight and the cultural conditioning that keeps us locked in a prison of silence, shame, and limitation. In her book, Love to Lose, Love Your Life and Watch the Weight Lose Itself, she uses what she learned on her own weight loss journey to help others stop wasting their lives on a diet, embrace everything about themselves, achieve what they're truly capable of, and lose weight in the process. I started our conversation by asking Camille if she wouldn't mind sharing her personal weight loss journey with us. I have a really long story, just like everybody else does. So I'll try to give you the Cliff Notes version. But yeah, I started dieting. Well, first of all, I'm 52. So we're in the Over 50 podcast. I am 52. But 
I started dieting when I was 12 years old, so way, way, way back, and I spent 25 years of my life on a diet trying to lose weight. I was eating emotionally. I trained myself to eat emotionally when I was really young, so I had a really very, very deeply painful experience of training myself to use food to make myself feel better and then feeling intense shame because of the way I was doing it, not making the connection that I was trying to deal with pain. It was just a feeling of I'm eating too much. I'm hiding what I'm eating. I'm ashamed of eating and getting all the messages from people around me that I shouldn't eat as much or I should be thin because I'm a girl and looking pretty, be quiet, be sweet, you know, those kinds of things that you grow up hearing when you're a girl, especially in the South, which makes it like twice as bad. But so basically I spent from age 12 to age, I mean, almost 30 dieting, taking diet pills. I had an eating disorder, over-exercising, doing everything I could to lose literally the same 10 pounds for, <laughs> for 25 years. It was, it was totally insane, but yet I'm not alone. There are women and men doing this everywhere. And so I learned how to break free of that cycle on my own, kind of by accident, just by deciding that I was going to quit dieting and just quit doing everything and start from day one right here, right now. What do I feel like doing? Getting in touch with how I felt and how my body felt and trying to work with it rather than against it. But there's really a lot more to it than that. There was a lot of deep pain that went with it that was the catalyst for making lots of changes in my life. So yeah, so here I am now at age 52 and hopefully a, a way farther on my journey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. So that's remarkable. And you mentioned that you started dieting at age 12. So I guess you had gotten the message then that as a young girl, you were overweight. And was where did you feel that pressure did that come from the family from peers, just your own yeah. insecurities? Well, so I wasn't overweight, which is the crazy thing. I, I really didn't even need to lose any weight. I just got the message from women and men around me that what I looked like mattered. It was of the utmost importance. No one said, you know, you're fat, you're overweight, you look terrible. It was just this constant, you know, my mom drinking tab and not eating all day. I mean, this is back in the 70s, obviously, yeah. early 80s. And then the women around me just, you know, it was very much a message of be quiet, look pretty, be thin, be unobtrusive, be, you know, kind of stay in your lane. And it, it wasn't a message of who are you? What are your strengths? What are you excited about? What are you passionate about? It was, it just got rammed home in lots of unspoken ways that I, what I looked like was the most important. Yeah. So you're internalizing this then as a young girl, this kind of this yes. message in the media and just the people around you, mm -hmm. and it's manifesting itself in some ugly ways, right? Now, Very. you mentioned that you started dieting. What does a 12-year-old's self-restricted <laughs> diet look like? What, uh, what, what are some things you, you tried? Well, it's kind of ridiculous, but I just tried what my mom was trying and what my, you know, their moms were trying. And then we as 12 and 13 year olds did in the eighth grade. Well, we didn't, we didn't eat for one thing. We would go all day without eating, drinking diet soda, taking diet pills. But then there were all the fad diets of the eighties, like 
Richard Simmons, Deal Emil, just stuff like that. I mean, I, I don't know what guy, I guess the people who are listening to this podcast might actually know what I'm talking I about, which might, is funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. What else it was South Beach diet back then? The grapefruit diet, cottage cheese. Diet. It was so stupid. The cabbage soup diet. It was just whatever anyone was latching onto. We were trying it. But here's the key point I think about that is that no one was discouraging us from dieting. I was being encouraged like, oh my gosh, that's so great. You know, you've got so much willpower and look, you've lost weight. You look amazing. You look so good. You're so, you know, you got praised for doing it. So that just reinforced the whole cycle. Now, I don't think we're wise to it. And so I have two beautiful preteen daughters and I would no more tell them, you know, you need to go on a diet or, hey, good job. That's awesome. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, that, that is scary. That's, I've, I guess I never really thought about that. But as a young, impressionable person, uh, you would have gotten validation from dieting. So, yes. And all these, all these, because you mentioned just all these different diets, I'm kind of <laughs> laughing at the grapefruit diet, and some of these ridiculous things that we've done. Did they work? And by work, I mean temporarily. Mm -hmm. Were you able to? You mentioned that you kept oh, yeah. gaining and losing weight. So mm -hmm. they would work, right? This diet, you would, you would lose some yeah. weight. Yeah. Yeah. And then what happens? Well, I would lose weight. Number one, I was, you know, 13 and 14, 15 years old. So basically you could, you know, skip dinner and lose five pounds back then. But yeah, I would lose weight. But how it would always come back is that I never addressed my emotional eating tendencies. So all of the pain, I basically learning to eat emotionally. If you have a problem binge eating, eating emotionally, People have such shame about that because it's so looked down upon. You feel out of control and like there's something wrong with you, but it's no different than being a drug addict or an alcoholic. You trained yourself to manage pain by eating. So there's no shame in it. It's, it's training. It's conditioning. So when I never dealt with that, my go-to to make myself feel better was to eat. So when I lost the weight and the weight was off and I felt great and, you know, hey, everything's great now, I just went right back to my to what I was doing before. And that's why the weight kept coming back. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned that you had you developed this unhealthy relationship with food. You talk about you were using food to manage pain. Where was that pain coming from? Mm. Well, I mean, a lot of it was just your typical, you know, growing Real up. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, like, you know, I felt alone. I felt like nobody understood me. Everyone feels like that. I did have a particular family dynamic where my dad was working all the time and he was in the house working from home. And so he was always busy, but I was sort of like invisible, I felt, you know, so it was, it was a lot of that, you know, just feeling, feeling alone, feeling insecure and wanting to fit in, wanting to get my dad's attention. Pretty much the same things most people feel when they're that age. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's certain. I think that's probably relatable for a, a lot of the audience listening because it's, it's no surprise to anybody that we eat for a lot of reasons, right? We obviously we eat for nutritional reasons. We have to eat biologically, but everybody knows the feeling of we eat when we celebrate. We eat when we're sad, when we're depressed, when we're anxious, when we're frustrated, when we're bored, right? So there's that kind of eating, right? But what you're talking about is a little bit different when you're saying things like I would I'm masking pain by eating and there's a shame associated with it. I'm actually hiding. Mm -hmm. while I eat. 
How old were you when you realized that this is, I mean, because you're probably not self-aware when you're 12, 13, 14 years old to realize, hey, I'm no. into mass pain. That's just, that's not a no. thing, right? When right. does that realization come to you? That didn't come to me for many, many years. I mean, like up until when I started this process of saying, I, I can't do this anymore. So that's what stopped me from the dieting is that I literally sat down on my couch one day in my early 30s and just bawled my eyes out and said, I can't do this anymore. I'm at my mind. I am killing myself mentally, physically, and emotionally by being obsessed with food, trying to lose weight, what I look like, constantly just focused obsessively on trying to look perfect. And so I said, I'm not doing this anymore. And I, I quit. And so that's when I learned how to eat in a normal, healthy way. And it was only then that I was able to look back and see that as long as I stayed stuck in that shame cycle of, you know, I'm binge eating and I'm ashamed of it and I'm hiding it, nothing was ever going to change because I had to understand why I was doing it. It was only way later that I could actually look back and see how my childhood and my upbringing and all of my personal story was affecting me and training me to do these things or, or pushing me to do that, that I could release the shame, understand it, release the shame, and then start healing it, healing the way that I ate. Yeah, healing the way that I ate. And that's a far cry different from the normal prescription to lose weight, right? And simple, you exercise more and eat less. Uh, right. <laughs> so we hear yes. that, and I'm sure we're going to pick that apart quite a bit. But before we go there, <laughs> you mentioned that here you are, you're in your early 30s, you find yourself, what do you say, bawling on your couch? Oh, yeah. What brought this catharsis on? Was there a, what, why that moment? Why then in your life did that, that come to That's pass? a good question. I don't really remember like what I, I was in. I remember around that time I had my first. Well, it wasn't my first job. It was probably late twenties, but I had a job that I was, I loved, but I was always stressed. It was like a really challenging job for me. And so what I was doing is I was, I, I mean, keep in mind, I dieted all through high school. I went to college and the wheels came off the bus and I developed an eating disorder and drinking, doing drugs. I mean, it was totally insane. And then I managed to clean myself up somewhat and, you know, be a respectable law-abiding citizen somewhat when I was, you know, getting my first few jobs. But I was going to work every day trying not to eat. So like I wouldn't eat all day. And then I would come home and I would try to have a workout, which I couldn't even get through the workout because I was so exhausted and I had no fuel. And then I would eat like three lean cuisines after like I was starving. I would, you know, I wasn't eating food. So it was the psychotic, like, frame of mind that I was in, working hard, stressed at work, not, you know, it was chaotic. And then I still hadn't mastered this whole, like, how can I lose these same 10 pounds? So it just really came to a head one, it wasn't one day, but there was the moment where I just said, I can't do this anymore. I, I cannot do it for another second. And I made a decision that I would rather be fat. I would rather gain a ton of weight I would rather eat what I want to eat, decide what I was going to eat because based on how I felt, and then gain a bunch of weight than to continue with this torture. But the opposite is what happened because when I allowed myself to eat whatever I wanted to eat, I mean, I, I didn't eat healthy at all. And I was like, okay, I'm going to eat whatever I want. 
Talk about the wheels coming off the bus. I was going to like be driving through Burger King like three times a day and getting, you know, enough food for 10 people. But that's not what happened is that I had no more of that pressure and that resistance that was creating that awful feeling inside that wanted to push me literally to eat to make myself feel better, to get rid of that feeling. So I relaxed and it was like, okay, well, if I want to sit on the couch and eat Ben and Jerry's and watch TV, I'm just going to do it. But I would sit down to do that. And it just wasn't appealing. It was like, okay, well, I can if I want to, but it doesn't really taste very good. I started to become very much more aware of how the food was making me feel rather than just shoving it down to, you know, to zone out. And you know what I mean? Like to have that complete, just let me go somewhere else. And, you know, you wake up (laughs) or you come to 10 minutes later and it's like, what happened? I just ate a whole piece of Yeah. 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 So anyway, that's what happened. Well, okay. So, and that's very counterintuitive. You say that (laughs) the way I lost weight long-term sustainably is I stopped trying to diet. I stopped trying to diet. So let's, let's talk about that. Cause I think what happens is a lot of people are in the position that you were in, right? They're in Mm -hmm. this, I have a very unhealthy relationship with food, perhaps my body, maybe even with exercise. And when they give up, they don't end up where you are now. They're not writing books about, wow, look what happened. So let's talk through this a little bit. So you've already said that one of the things was, hey, I took that pressure off myself and I started Mm -hmm. to become more aware of what I was doing as opposed to this shameful hiding while I'm binging or then and then making up for it, quote unquote, by dieting again. Mm -hmm. What, What were those early steps like as you were starting to find this awareness of, okay, I've I've given myself permission to just not, to, yeah. to get off that diet wheel, right? That hamster wheel. Yeah. Well, so it was not just food. It was also exercise because I was a fanatical exerciser, like going to the gym for two hours a day, that kind of thing. And like, if I was going to go for a run, I wasn't just going to go jog. I was going to do a dead sprint around, you know, the neighborhood and like do as many hills as I could. So it was this forcing myself and this pressure that I was always putting on myself. So what really happened is that the next day after that, and I woke up and I said, you know what, I don't feel like going to run. So I'm just going to go for a walk. It's hard to put it into words really, but like, to me, it was all about resistance, the resistance that I was putting on my body. Like I was resisting my body Cause I, you know, constantly, like, I hate my body. I hate what I look like picking myself apart in the mirror food. I was resisting food. Like I'm not supposed to eat this. That's off limits. And then I would starve myself and then binge on those same foods. The workouts that I was forcing myself to do created lots of resistance. So it was a lot of willpower and willpower creates resistance. So when all that resistance was gone, I apologize if you can hear. Can you hear my dogs barking? <laughs> That's okay. I'm so sorry no, right. if your listeners. A little background for us. That's hopefully right. they, <laughs> they're dog lovers. But um, anyway, so it was the resistance was gone. It was more of a creative mindset that I was like, just let me see what happens. Let me be peaceful and just relaxed and accepting of not just food, but myself, my body, and. You know, I was never in touch with anything about my desires, my true desires. It was it was a constant shoving down and avoidance of feelings and 
trying to fix myself from the outside in. So when I shifted it to fixing myself from the inside out, it just, it naturally helped me change what I did every single day. And the longer I did it, the more I got an investigative kind of an attitude, like looking up, you know, nutrition information and trying to figure out how foods affected my body, learning how to cook. I, I developed a much more, less fear-based relationship with food. So, and with my body, but that's always a work in progress, actually. Yeah. Well, that's, and that's very beautifully said, right? I mean, you, you talk about fixing yourself from the inside out, as opposed to what you were doing before the outside in, right? Mm -hmm. And in that story you were telling us, you said, well, you had this, you did have an unhealthy relationship with exercise as well as with food. And certainly we know now that chronically under eating and chronically over exercising is just metabolic disaster. It's yes. <laughs> it's not yeah. going to end well, people. And unfortunately, that seems to be the prescription, right? Okay, I'm going to go on a diet, and I'm going to start exercising. And maybe I have some success there. And sooner or later, I will plateau, right? Your body will adapt, and will find that that stasis. Mm -hmm. So what do we do? Well, we'll, we'll cut our calories some more, and we'll exercise some more. And as that escalates, that ends up in a in a dead end road that just that do, yeah. it doesn't go on forever. You can't keep adding stressors to your body dieting is a stressor to your body mm -hmm. exercise is a stress to your body and as you continue to combine these and ramp both of those up together the results aren't very good and then if you throw in there some unhealthy relationship with, <laughs> with eating with exercise with self that's just yeah, yeah that's not <clears throat> that's not coming to a, a, a good place so you spent basically 25 years with this kind of yo-yo diet, this poor relationship with food, with exercise. And one day you decide enough's enough. You are, you have this letting go and giving yourself permission. So how do you go from this? Okay. This is starting to work to actually changing habits and to making, to kind of formulating some sort of a new plan for your life or do you? Well, yeah, that's a great question. And actually, I didn't formulate any kind of a plan. I just, I think that was part of it for me that was really important was not to try to micromanage everything. Like I'm a, a list checker offer and like, let's, you know, set a deadline and type A kind of stuff. But it was, I couldn't heal my relationship with myself and my body and with food if I was going to be constantly doing this pushing, pushing, pushing. And I'd like to say, based on what you just said a minute ago, like, yeah, it's not going to end well if you're constantly over-exercising, uh, cutting calories and like, you know, doing all this fasting and all of these things that, that we like to do. What I want to say to people is, what is your motivation for doing these things? You know what I mean? Like, it's awesome to feel good about the way that you look. It, I mean, I've had a few times in my life where I felt like I could, you know, rock a bathing suit and I felt kick ass walking across the pool somewhere to get my margarita. But what's the, what's the point? You know what I mean? Like, are we really doing this for longevity? And this is, you know, to your, to your whole podcast, the point of it is, we need to, I think, relax a little bit on our physical standards. It's not that you want to let go completely, but like, why are we so obsessively focused on what we look like to the exclusion of reaching our full potential? And that's what I'm working, trying to help women understand. Because ironically, if you start working towards your potential and doing things that are meaningful to you, that you're passionate about, 
that all of that spills over into your health life and it makes it easier to choose the right foods, you know? So I think there's a balance. If you're going balls to the wall in any direction, you know, I think it's, I think that's off balance. That's just my opinion, but. Well, hang on. I want, I want to pick this apart because I love that you okay. right there, you had just mentioned that in order to reach your full potential and find meaning in your life and, passion, if you're truly doing those things, becoming self-actualized, if you will, then your health will follow. Do you mind ex expanding on that a little bit? Because I, I find yeah. that to be a fascinating, and I'm yeah. tracking with you, but I, I think that that may not, may not be intuitive right off the bat, right? No, I agree. And I think it, it does work both ways. I mean, there's always like two ways to look at it. But like, if you are in your best physical health, it makes it, if you're fueling your body the proper way, I mean, if you're eating crap food, you're never going to reach your full potential because you can't feel good enough to get up off the couch. So you have to be in that respect, you have to focus on your health and really take care of your body. But if you are working out constantly, you know, monitoring everything you put in your body and you know, like every micronutrient that you're missing and you've got the perfect diet and you're ripped and whatever, and you've got a six pack, but then you're not loving who you really are. Like, why are we so obsessed with fixing ourselves outwardly is what I'm saying. But to me, it really did start to change my health habits when I started so how it really happened for me is that I decided to educate myself on nutrition instead of like, you know, having this like, is it going to make me fat or is this going to help me lose weight? I started learning. I mean, I Google searched. That's how it started. Then I decided to take a class at the local university. Then I took another. And then I eventually became a dietitian, which does specifically have to do with health, obviously. But it was a goal that I was setting and reaching and achieving every day. And because of that excitement that I had getting up every day, I wasn't thinking about, oh my God, I'm not supposed to eat, you know, carbs today. I need to, you know, I need to cut calories. I need to, I'm going to try not to eat all day. And then I'm just going to eat a link. I mean, it, it was not even in my mental space because it was all being filled up with a goal and I was excited and, yeah, it just made making healthy choices easy. Obviously, I was learning about health, so that made it easy too. But like if you're training for a marathon or if you're learning to speak a foreign language and you get up every day and you're like, oh, I'm so excited. I can't wait for my class. You know, most women who I work with are like all day, we're doing stuff for other people. All we're thinking about is I got to do this. I got to do that. Oh, my God. I look, you know, I, I, Every hour you walk by a mirror and you're like, oh my God, I look disgusting. I look so old. I look fat. You know, we got to get something that's inspiring to us and that we feel passionate about in combination with also learning how to fuel ourselves properly. So I think it's a balance, but I think it's missing in a lot of people's lives that they don't have a big goal that they're working toward. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that idea that that this is it, it, you had mentioned it's kind of it's a two-way thing right it goes back and forth but to your point the ripped model on the cover of a fitness magazine may not have a very healthy relationship with his or her body as well right they, right it doesn't go hand in hand just because somebody has a certain aesthetic or look or even a performance but that what you're kind of talking about is more this it's it's learning to love yourself and finding your passion and your path mm -hmm. 
and that when you get all of these things in alignment with this sort of self-love and this self-care piece, and you're living authentically through that, that you'll, you'll choose to make healthy choices. So let's talk a little bit about, well, first, let's talk a little bit about self-love, because I think that what happens is a lot of people are making perhaps food choices from a place of not just like you, we've been talking about for the last 30 minutes here, right? From a place of shame or disgust or from self-hate and not from a place of self-love. How, what are some practices maybe that we can put in place to start to develop this healthy relationship with ourselves, even maybe in a world where the media and the society and the culture might expect us to look or act a certain way? Oh, yeah. It's really hard because we're inundated with media images and with social media now. And and the first thing I would say, though, is that a man or a woman who's on the cover of a fitness magazine and is in absolute tip-top shape, that doesn't mean that they're not, like, totally fulfilled on the inside, too. So I'm not saying that, right. like, no, yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying that. Yep. Yeah. But okay. it doesn't mean that they necessarily are just because yeah. they have that, that one segment of their life kind of dialed in, right? Right. And yeah. also, by the same token, that just because you see someone who might be, in your opinion, 10 or 15 pounds overweight, who is fully alive and excited and right. joyful about her life, doesn't... It doesn't have health, you know, I mean, right. you don't have to have a six pack to, to be a healthy person, but I think for the self love piece, I know what I do is that I try as much as I can to stay off social media and mm. it's hard because now it's part of my business, but at least I follow people who, who build, make me feel built up, who inspire me. And it's not just about food and it's not just about, you know, like I have a bikini body and you know, that just makes me feel like crap about myself. So I don't, I don't do that. I choose not to look at that. Another thing that I think is really important to heal your relationship with food and to make yourself feel less in that food has a chokehold over you is to learn to cook. And you don't have to be a gourmet cook or a five-star chef, but just get in your kitchen and just experiment. We all feel like in our culture, there's a lot of pressure to be, you are you know, total pro or you're, you suck, you know, it's like, you got to be all full force this way, or maybe that's just my personality, but, but yeah, like just get in your kitchen and just, you know, start experimenting that kind of just getting excited about something or feeling creative. So a creative space is completely at odds with competition and putting yourself down. As soon as you open up your creative mindset all of that goes away. So anything you can do to to stimulate that part of your brain, learning something new, you know, meditation. I have a hard time with that because I am so type A. I just have a hard time with it, but I'm working on that. So meditation I've heard is fantastic. I journal a lot, which a lot of people push back on that. But, um, but yeah, I do that. I get up every morning at 5 a.m. and I sit on my couch with my stack of inspiring books and I don't allow myself to just read crap or watch Netflix first thing. I have my coffee. I have my morning routine to set myself on a, on a healthy path for the day mentally. So yeah, I hope that answered the question. I'm not sure if I did. It does. And I, I think what you're describing there is a ritual or a habit of self-care, right? And I think so yeah, many yeah. people, and women particularly, who tend to be caregivers and everybody comes before them, and but men yes. as well, in that, in that kind of a role or that mindset, fail to realize that 
that self-care, that taking that time for yourself just makes everything better. It makes you a better human showing up for all these other other yes. aspects of your life. So yeah. you, you had mentioned, obviously, creativity and then having a creative space, maybe learning to cook, which I'm a big, big fan of. And again, you don't have to be a chef. You just have to know your way around the kitchen because that frees you from the convenience of ultra-processed foods, which yes, is where yes. I want to go next. So, well, let's go there now. Let's talk a little bit about, because so far, most of what you've said has been more on that mindset and that introspective side of just letting go, right? But you're a registered dietitian, so you obviously have a stake in the ground when it comes to healthy eating. Yeah. What do you tell people? Let's say you have somebody that comes in and you've worked through some of this. Okay, we're going to let go. We're going to learn to love yourself right where you are right now. You're enough. You're perfect. Let's start from there. You've got this person believing that. Now they're kind of curious. I want to take that next step. Okay, I love myself, so I want to honor myself. Therefore, I'm going to make these body honoring choices with my mm -hmm. food. What do you tell people that, because there's just so much information out there and misinformation out there, how do you guide people? What are some basic tenets or principles for healthy food choices? Yeah, well, the first thing I do is I mostly work with women who eat emotionally. So I always tell them that you have to change the way that you eat before you're changing what you eat. Because even if you have the most perfect diet, you can, I became a vegetarian in 1997 and I was training for my first marathon and I ate so much that like I was running 20 miles every other day and I still didn't lose weight because I was eating so much because I never fixed my emotional eating. So I tell women that you have to, or anyone, you have to work on that first and uncover why you're eating the way that you're eating, then work on what you eat. But you really want to do both at the same time, because it is true that when you're, if you're fueling your body with high fructose corn syrup and, you know, candy and chocolate and fast food, you can't think clearly and you're, you're just not going to be in a physical state where you can actually do the work of figuring out why you eat emotionally. So it does go hand in hand. I teach people how to change their habits to take one small step at a time to pick one habit that they have and to start modifying it step by step by step. I'm really in it for the long game for people. I want them to see a lifetime of changes rather than this, you know, I'm going to gut it out and go balls to the wall for two weeks and lose 10 pounds and then it'll be over and I'll be fine. No, you go back to your old habits. So to right. me, it's about habit change. Yeah. And the long term. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, it, that certainly makes sense. And now do you talk to folks as well about, I mean, do you ever get into, obviously as, as an RD, you can prescribe, you can do meal plans and things like that. Do you work with folks in that, in that realm or that's just not interesting. No. So that's basically your education's <laughs> there, but you're, you're really more in that, Hey, I'm, I'm going to help women with I, their emotional eating. And well, I'll tell you why I'm, I'm laughing because I refuse to give anyone a meal plan Good and it happens yeah. every time people yeah. come to me. Okay. Well, I love what you're saying. I totally agree. Tell now me tell what, me to, what eat. to eat. Yeah. And I say, <laughs> not I'm gonna never going to, yeah. not going to tell yeah. you what to eat because number one, you can go find out what, if you find out on your own and you learn it, I mean, I can give you a meal plan. 
and you can lose weight and you'll be, feel good. But then what happens? You're just going to go back and do what you've always done. You're going to go back to your old habits and it's going to come back. So when you do the work of figuring out, educating yourself online, whatever, go find the information. It's really not that complicated. I feel like we, we overcomplicate it. I think we get too focused on specific nutrients. I think we're like afraid of whole food groups where, you know, some people People are, you know, nightshade vegetables. You got to stay away from that. You got to eat right for your blood type. I think we need to pull it back and yeah, go educate yourself. Start where you are and learn because you don't change anything without the trial and the error piece of it. But I will tell people, of course, if they have questions, I'm not going to say, sorry, I'm not going to answer your question, but I just don't do meal plans for people because I think it puts them in a, in the passive role rather than the taking action role and taking charge. Cause that's what you want people to do, right? Is to take charge mm-hmm. of their health. You don't want them to be a bystander and you tell them what to do. That just doesn't work. And in terms of how much people eat, do you, how do you work with your clients there? Are you giving a calorie range or intuitive eating? I, I get the sense that you're not going to tell them to track everything in my fitness pal, are you? Hell no. I don't, I don't do any of that. Okay, and right. if they want to do that on their own, that's great. Right what on. I tell okay. them to do, I say, I want you to pick three to five habits that you feel are really holding you back from losing the weight. You know, do you never work out? Do you sit in, I mean, it's got to be specific, like sit down in the afternoon on the couch after you pick the kids up from school and you take a bag of Doritos and you sit there and you watch Netflix. Or do you hit snooze every morning and you don't get up and you don't work out and you say you're going to, but you never do. I want you to pick three to five narrow it down to three, and then pick the one that would be the easiest for you to change. And then I come up with like, give me 10 or 15 teeny tiny changes you could make to that habit. Like if you're sitting in front of the uh, TV in the afternoon, what could you eat instead of Doritos? Can you take something different? Can you do half Doritos? Can you portion out the Doritos and sit and mindfully eat them as much as possible? You know, things like that, because that just gets your brain thinking in a different way. Like instead of this whole zone out, like I have no control over it. I just can't get up and work out. I'm just lazy. I'm just not an exercise person. All of these stories we tell ourselves, it's rooted in your habits. And if you can dismantle the habit and gradually change it, It changes how you think, and then changing how you think also helps it change what you're doing. And if you can do habit after habit after habit, then that they start stacking on each other and you start getting exponential results. I want to put the ball in my client's court as much as I possibly can. But yeah. Yeah, no, I I love that. And I love the idea of starting small and building on that, right? Because I think a lot of people miss the fact that, and I say this all the time, even teeny tiny progress done consistently over time, as in a hab- a, a new habit, can have yeah. yield huge results down the line. So you're working with folks on kind of that habit-based change. Talk to us a little bit about habits and what does it take to learn a new behavior and for it to actually become a habit, right? Because a habit's something we do really kind of without thinking about it. It's an, we yeah. integrated it into our lives as opposed to, oh, I, okay. So Making Camille a choice. Said, Sit down. Yeah. And, and she said, only eat half the Doritos. So what does it take to become a habit? Well, for something to become a habit, it's 
I mean, you just have to do it over a long period of time. But like we tend to think of our habits as being totally automatic and just reflexive. And, and it feels that way. But I try to show people that you have thoughts that you that come into your mind before you engage in that habit and you have thoughts while you're engaging in the habit and then for sure the ones you have after especially if it's a habit that you are trying to break and you don't like the shaming thoughts so i teach my clients what you want to do is to take that bad habit that you're trying to change and i want you to engage in it fully without judging yourself. And I want you to take a journal and I want you to write down what's happening before you engage in that habit. Because there's lots of things you're thinking of that you're not, it's just flying through your mind and you're not processing it or registering it. Like, oh my God, I just picked up the kids. They're on my last nerve. The house looks like a bomb went off. I'm just, I deserve to eat. This is my break. You know, I never do anything for myself. These kinds of things. And if you can become aware of it, you can actually start heading that habit off at the past. Like if stress is one of your triggers, you can manage the stress so that it's then not pushing you to do the the bad behavior that you're trying not to engage in, you know, and if you're having a hard time getting up in the morning to work out and you're just feeling like, I just can't do it. I can't get up. Well, look at what's making you so incapable of getting out of the bed. Are you drinking too much at night and you can't sleep and you're not sleeping well? All of these things, you can really head them off at the past. But it, to answer your question, a habit there's so many books and different schools of thought, but like, have you read um, The Power of Habit by James, is it, no, Charles Duhigg? I have not, no. Oh, it's so good. So I think the, the general standard of way of thought is that it takes 20 something days to make a habit stick. And that whatever it is, I really don't know, but I do know that you have to keep practicing. And one of the key things that I tell people is that you can't give up on yourself. You're going to, you're going to try to make a change. It's going to be too hard for you to make that one particular change. So just pick another one. There's no failure. You're not like, Oh God, you know, well today I screwed up and I was too exhausted and, or my kids were on my nerves and I ate a whole bag of Doritos. Okay. Well, so what? It's okay. Pick yourself back up, get back in the game and let's just keep on going. Hey, and maybe that's not a habit you want to change right now. And that's fine too. Go change another one. The more you, you know, the more you change, the easier it is to change the other one. So yeah. Yeah, I guess you can you can start to build this culture of breaking bad habits, building new habits. And I I didn't think about in in terms of breaking bad habits, just the importance of the awareness, right? If we can, because I you know I had started out asking you about habits. Well, we kind of do them subconsciously. And you, you challenged that. You said, well, no, wait. You have thoughts before, during, and after your habits. You just probably aren't aware of them. And yeah, you're exactly right. I I can think of times when I engage in things that I know aren't healthy for me. I have a thought beforehand and. You know, so that's that's an interesting exercise, I think, for for breaking bad habits. And then I think everybody's heard that 21 or 30 days or whatever it is to, yeah. to make a new habit. It's it's really getting those reps in and doing it repeatedly, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I want to switch gears a little bit because I've seen you write a little bit about the importance of environment and oh, yeah. weight loss. Yeah, and I'd love to hear your thoughts there because when I first read that, I was thinking, okay, what... What does that mean? So talk to us a little bit. What, why would your environment be important in your weight loss journey? Yeah, what's well, important in everything. And I'm just, again, piggybacking off of Charles Duhigg. And then there's also James Clear is another 
habit change, success coach or whatever writer. But yeah, they talk all the time about how your environment, it's pushing you to do what you do every single day. So every choice you make, really like it's not even a choice anymore because your your environment is setting you up either for success or failure. But the problem is, is that you're so used to looking at what you look at every day that you can't notice how it's working against you. So I always tell people that if I walked into your kitchen, I could probably spot at least 10 things that are going wrong in your environment that are pushing you to make the wrong choices. And that if you just fix these tiny, simple things, you know, it's like just setting yourself up for ultimate success. And it's like we're bashing ourselves. I have no willpower. I'm so, you know, lazy. I'm so disgusting. I, I just can't stop eating when literally you will walk in and there's like, there's Cokes sitting out on the counter. There's no fruit anywhere in sight. There's a cluttered up cabinet full of junk, like kitchen utensils you don't even ever use. Or there's a lack of the ones that you need to make a healthy meal, expired food, stuff like that. Like even just having your environment be a beautiful space helps you make healthier decisions. Because if you go into your kitchen, I always talk about the kitchen, obviously, because that has to do with food. But if you go into your kitchen and it's a place of disorganization and stress, and it makes you, you don't want to be there, you're never going to cook anything. If you want to be a healthy person, you absolutely must cook. And it doesn't have to be fancy, but you cannot just door dash it all day. You can't go through the drive through and eat healthy because all that stuff is just loaded with, with stuff that you don't need. And it's okay every once in a while, or even every week if you want to, but you got to get in your kitchen and you got to cook. So if your kitchen is setting you up to fail and make the wrong choices and never want to make a meal, you're really basically screwed right out of the gate. So the cool thing is, is that you just make a few small changes and you get your kitchen cleaned out. It's so much easier. You just feel like a whole weight got lifted off your shoulders. And all of a sudden it's like more fun and inspiring instead of just this big chore. So yeah, it's hugely important. Yeah, I, I think that's great. And I, I can relate to that. Certainly with my workspace when it's clean, it's not right yeah. now, unfortunately, but I, <laughs> I try and keep a pretty tidy workspace because yeah. I feel like I'm more creative. I'm more productive. I just, I feel better being in that space. Right. Yes. And I can see how that same thing would transfer to the kitchen. And I'm a huge, huge believer in the whole, whole foods and eating real food, not processed yes, foods. Yes. I feel like we've yes. just traded our health for convenience with all this ultra processed food. To your point, you have to make friends with the kitchen. You have to make friends with at least basic food prep because that's how you get healthy food in you is, is yeah. you prepare it and, and you make it. And if you can yeah. make that a pleasant experience and a positive experience, you're much more likely to do that. So, yeah. yeah. And you get yeah. more variety naturally because there's so many options. You know, when you see a recipe and it's got like, you know, 10 things to put in there to make it a healthy or to make the dish at all, you're mm -hmm. going to get more ingredients than you do when you wrap through Chick-fil-A and you get, you know, two ingredients. Right. Yeah. yeah. Chicken. And I don't know what else is in there, but yeah, no, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot more than two. Unfortunately, I'm sure that batter's got a bunch of crap in it. Well, right. Bread right. Does. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Camille, we haven't mentioned your book yet. So your book is okay. love to lose, love your life and watch the weight lose itself. Did I say that right? You did. Yeah. Yes. All right. So <laughs> Folks, if you want to, if you want to learn more, certainly encourage you to go check that out. But 
before we talk about how folks can get in touch with you, talk to us about what's what's next for you? What's on the horizon for you? Well, actually, I am about to start working on a second book, which is more about the cultural influences that are pushing women, in particular women, to obsess about their looks like we were talking about earlier and the driving forces that are pushing women to be quiet and to be sweet and to think that like all they have to offer is what we look like. So I'm working on that right now. I'm super excited about that. And I'm, yeah, just what's next for me is always just trying to reach as many women as I can to say that your potential is unlimited and that you're, you owe it to yourself to not waste your life trying to diet off the same 10 pounds and just, it's a waste of your life. And that's just a tragedy. So that's what I'm always about. The more I can spread that message, the better. Yeah, I yeah, I have to imagine that message is going to land really well. I mean, we I hope so. we live in a we live in a time when diet culture is just crazy right now. And to your point, still. a lot of it's oh no, it really is. Yes, Isn't it's it still crazy. Is, it is crazy. Yeah, but we also live in a time when I mean, people are as unhealthy as we've ever been. We've got the highest healthcare costs in the world, yet we're the unhealthiest population. Oh. So there's a lot of confounding variables going on here, but certainly. Uh, a lot of people can can certainly benefit from the message that you're that you're sending out here. So if this is resonating with folks, how can people connect with you? What's the best way? My website is Camille Martin RD for registered dietitians. So Camille Martin RD.com. And I'm on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. And I believe they're all like Camille Martin RD, some version of that, but it's on my website if you want to, if you want to do that. And I also, if I can say, I do have a free guide to setting your environment up. If you want to get that, it's on my website. It's free. So that's a, that'll be taking a huge step to get. Getting your environment cleaned up makes everything easier. So yeah, check that out. Okay. Yeah. And folks, I uh, will put all of that into the show notes for this. So you can check that out there, including the link to the free guide. Well, Camille, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your personal journey with us, as well as all of your wisdom, your knowledge, and your passion for this subject. I really yeah. appreciate you being here and just encourage you to keep up the great work. Thank you so much. I loved being here and I really appreciate you having me on. I'll come back anytime. We can break down some more aging topics. I love that too. I don't feel like we got into that. No, we didn't talk about that at all. Yeah, we definitely (laughs) come back on and talk all day about that. Sounds good. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Okay, folks, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation as much as I did. You can find all the links to the resources we discussed in this episode over at silveredgefitness.com slash episode 108. And you can continue the conversation over there as well. I'd love to hear your thoughts and comments on today's show. As we wrap up our time together today, you can show your support for this show in two important ways. One is to tell a friend about this podcast and encourage them to give it a listen. The second is to give this podcast a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on, and be sure to subscribe and follow so you don't miss any future episodes. I also want to let you know that if you enjoyed this podcast, I have other free resources over at silveredgefree.com. There you'll find guides with my top tips on exercise, nutrition, and lifestyle. So feel free to head over there and download anything that looks useful to you and your health and wellness journey. I really appreciate you spending your time with me today, and until next time, stay strong.